Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. Since the fall of President Suharto's new order regime in 1998, culture has exploded in Indonesia, and nowhere is it more evident than in the media. With increases in media providers comes increases in diversity of media forums and media content. With this comes an altering of the public discourse that can further change democracy and modernity. Here to discuss the politics of Indonesian screen cultures is Professor Ariel Harianto. He's the Herb Faith Professor for the Study of Indonesia at Monash University. He's the author of a book, Identity and Pleasure, The Politics of Indonesian Screen Culture, which was released in 2014. Thank you for joining me today, Ariel. My pleasure. So can you talk me through a bit how Indonesia's media was regulated during the new order and how restricted was it? Very restrictive. The military regime was very ambitious in its attempt to control people. But with all ambitions, it doesn't mean that they achieved what they wanted to mm. achieve. So you had a variety of outcomes of that suppression and control and censorships, depending on the media technology and the time. Mm. For example, film was heavily screened and censored uh, during production. Book and radio broadcast was less control and censored. But also in the early days, there was much more censorship in the later part of the regime. For example, in the past, even stage production of plays would have to be censored and screened before they got the permission to be shown on stage. Sometimes poets had to negotiate with police in deciding what can be read aloud in front of the audience and what cannot be. So was outside productions allowed into the country or was it was it that heavily controlled that it was only things that were produced within Both. Indonesia? Both. Films were definitely very heavily screened yeah. before it was produced. Even the script had to be negotiated. Then raw materials had to be checked by the military yeah. before it could be edited. So what message were they trying to control? Basically, they wanted to show that the public and the world that everything was in good order. Everybody was happy. In no, Indonesia. In Indonesia. Yeah. So perhaps today's audience could compare with the North Korean regime. Mm. Everybody was happy, well-fed, and, and, and smiling all the time. As a young person growing up then within this media culture, how did you consume it? Were you, uh, did, well, you did you buy into it? Were you pessimistic? Or? Well, I was too young to understand, and I grew up with that sort of culture of terror. Yeah. So I thought it was normal. So I didn't understand the idea of freedom or speech and so on until I left the country and saw another kind of life. Okay? So I grew up with that. It doesn't mean that we had no fear. Of course, we had a lot of um, intimidation and a lot of fear. Mm. But if you live in that sort of situation, you learn how to normalize that. You accept it as it is and take it for granted. So once you left Indonesia, how much did your perspective change then? A lot, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that similar to the experience that people living in Indonesia had once the new order collapsed in 98? So. I think so. Except I have to add that in the last few years of the new order regime, there were already changes for the better. Mm. So before the final collapse, there was already openings and cracks in the system. And there was already internal uh, friction within the political elites. So you see that is uh, the possibility for the new generations to demand more. And I also have to remind you 
that despite all this oppression, the new order was successful, very much successful in building the economy. So there was a major growth in the city life, in consumption lifestyles, in shopping malls and so on. So the younger generations of Indonesia, including the children of the generals, were exposed to the liberal world outside Indonesia for, through their readings, through their visits to those countries. Mm. So when they went home, they definitely wanted to have some demands of more liberalizations with some restrictions, but you know, there was a lot of negotiation. Mm. But since 1998, then yes. that must have increased exponentially. Yes, but there was also really high hopes. Mm. Things will be radically different, and that's hope uh, didn't last very long to have to confront the reality, the ugly reality that change did not take place overnight. So how have things changed? And if they haven't changed overnight, if it hasn't been substantially different, how have things changed? In general, I'd say Indonesia has been much, much better than any time in the entire history since independence. I have to be careful in saying this, uh, particularly to my friends in Indonesia, because every time I go back there, talk to people, definitely have a lot of complaints about how things were run. Yeah, uh, I have the privilege to look and assess it from outside, from a distance. I still maintain my argument. Overall, things are much better, much, much better than one could imagine mm. back then. But there's a lot more to be done. Definitely, yes. Yeah. So some specifics, though. There's There's been a big increase in media providers yes. and, and media variety. Yes. Can you talk me through those? It's bit? not the numbers that really matters to me because there's a lot of concentration of ownership of that media. Mm. So you have a lot more channels. You have a lot more audience at the moment. But that doesn't necessarily translate to a variety of voices. So the media ownership was still very much concentrated, even more to a few companies. Sure. But the difference is that now people can almost say anything they like against the government. They can make fun of them in public without any kind of risks involved. That was unimaginable mm. during Suharto period. How about from the perspective of uh, representing ethnic diversity yes. or views about religion? Yes. That's a tricky area there. Yeah. Um, with the fall of the dictatorships in 1998, you had small pockets of social groups, alliances, ideologies, utopias, and so on, competing with each other, trying to take over and fill in that vacuum of political leaderships. As you can see from other sources, at the moment, it's the Islamization that get the upper hand. Mm. And I think, in a way, it's a good correction to what was in the past, meaning in the past, the Islamic group has been repressed for too long, being the majority, I think that was not correct. So what happened now is a correction, except that oftentimes you have rough edges at the end um, and you have people who just go refractorily and with some excesses in, on the margin. Yeah. So that is the consequences of this pendulum swing to the other extreme. <laughs> and I suppose uh, there's been a, a rise as well in the offerings of international television yes. in Indonesia. Yes. What's something that you'd see now in Indonesia that you never would have seen before? Well, definitely the biggest change would be the access to YouTube, yeah, Facebook, Twitter. You know, that's not only that they were gateways to see the world naked, so to speak, but also it's available twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. That was definitely very, very different. Mm. How about social media? How much has that become a part of Indonesia now? 
Well, Indonesia has been noted as the home of the biggest account holders in the world on social media, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. According to one of the latest accounts, I think Indonesia is now the fourth or the seventh largest nation with um, owners of uh, Facebook mm. and maybe the largest in Twitter. People are definitely glued to the social media um, gadgets. Yeah. And I think there's some reason for that, I think. I have always tended to argue that Indonesia is a very oral-oriented society. The normal literacy is very high, almost 100%, so people can recognize numbers and alphabets, but it's not functional literacy, so to speak. People still prefer and more familiar with and feel comfortable with oral communication, mode of communications. Mm. So in a way, Twitter and social media is a kind of oral mode of communication, even though it uses texts, but still very conversational, very instant. What does this kind of freedom in the media do to productions that are made in Indonesia for the Indonesian market? Are you getting much more targeted ones that appeal to different religions specifically or, or ethnic regions? I don't see it that way. I don't see enough diversity that the technology potentially offers us. I don't know how to explain this, perhaps because we have been repressed under the dictatorship for so long. Once you have the freedom, it's just like, you know, birds were in the cage when released, they couldn't fly. Yeah. It took a while, I think. Uh, so my hope is with the younger generations of Indonesians who are currently the main consumers and users of these technology. But that's nearly 20 years, though. That's would, right. would you expect to see more variety? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. But there's, I think, a limit to how far you can go. Even in the world outside, I see in Australia, in America, there's very little diversity, actually. Mm. There's a lot of conservatism. There's a lot of, you know, uh, tendency to to cling um, to one or two dominant ideas and, mm. and cultural tastes and disposition. So we need to have a lot more definitely diversity. So where are the people going then for this sort of entertainment, for this sort of outlet? Because I imagine there would be a lot of interest in religious targeted yes. entertainment, maybe Islamic themed popular culture. That's right. Yeah. It's everywhere. You can't miss them. You can't avoid them actually. It's everywhere there. Television definitely is very important there. Yeah. TV dramas, the Islamic theme is definitely the dominant one. How is that availability and that dominance manifesting itself in the rest of the society. So is it having an effect on politics, say, or mainstream yes, discussions? Yes, yes, yes. Of course, there's there's more than one direction of that sort of uh, impacts and, mm. and, and follow-up. But to give you one good example would be the victory of the current president, Joko Widodo, or better known as Jokowi. Yeah. His main support are people who were not members of the dominant political parties. The media industry back then in uh, 2014 all supported Jokowi's opponent or rival. And all the major political parties were all behind the man who was competing with Jokowi. But Jokowi's volunteers, so to speak, they call themselves volunteers, were a huge number using social media to champion him and definitely in the end to bring him to victory. Mm. That was extraordinary. Yeah. In the history of Indonesian politics. <laughs> that happened before your book came out, though, didn't it? That was the same year, actually. Yeah. 2014, yes. So if you had a revised edition, yes. <laughs> uh, how, how would you be revising it? In many ways, it's just strengthened my argument, actually. Yeah. That, that for so long, we 
were simply unprepared or ill-equipped to take into account this new generation, this new phenomena, really. We tend to study Indonesia by looking at the quote-unquote solid institutions of power, like the parliament, like the political parties, you know, the mainstream media and so on, at the expense of ignoring mm. or underestimating the power, quote-unquote, of these people, you know, who were not organized, who had no name, who was anonymous, but they're huge in numbers. They come to support a particular hero and then they disperse. Yeah, yeah. So it's harder to capture and study and interview these people because they come and go. <laughs> so do you think that there's different aspects of Indonesia, say different religions or cultures that are ignored by the mainstream media that are missing out in this new diversity? So you're going to leave out uh, groups like low income oh, okay. or maybe uh, like Chinese Indonesians? Yes, yes. Well, they try, the main media try to brought base of people is possible, definitely. But restrictions appear on the screen in their products, mm. for example. So, for example, the issues of uh, religious piety become dominant now in all kinds of production of commodities, from fashion to entertainment, dining, and so on, at the expense of excluding or ignoring others. Okay, For example, we have not seen enough the questions of some of the bitter past uh, in the history of Indonesia, for example, the victims of the massacre of 1965, for example, people have difficulties portraying the life of the LGBT, mm. many of the minorities, including you know particular religious minority who were under prosecution really um, by the majority or ethnic minorities and so on. They have less space in the media. Is it an active discrimination or is it just a yes. ne neglecting? It's both. Yeah. In the beginning, it was state-sponsored discrimination mm. in official policies, but after a while, it got normalized. People don't even think about it. How do you think uh, this kind of imbalance can be redressed? Do you think that this is something that can change in Indonesia? It's hard, but you have a good number of, and growing number of young Indonesians try to produce alternative media, alternative content, challenging this orthodoxy. Mm. And their work are definitely very heartening, except that they remain in small groups with very limited impacts to society. So if they grow, I think they're going to make a difference. Yeah, They deserve support from all parties, I think, who have similar concern with their cause. Mm. So can I ask you about international production? So there's not as much or no active censorship going on with what the outside world can provide for Indonesian television. So I was wondering what you found interesting that has been popular that you didn't expect it. Despite the government was being uh, very lax about censorship, about media flows, there's been an increase of policing from the non-state organizations, including the militias and the organized thuggery. Right. It's very strong. And government from time to time were pressured to appear to be responsive to this kind of demand from people, you know, that somehow victimize the governor of Jakarta, for example. Now, back to your questions. Yes, uh, one unexpected event definitely was the popularity of um, TV drama from Korea and K-pops and so on. They're very, very popular in Indonesia. Yeah. And it was really unexpected. 
it was unexpected because with the growth of Islamization, you would expect that people would be looking for and adoring things that are Islamic. This new entertainment from Korea definitely is not Islamic. In some parts, they are definitely anti-Islam, actually. Sexual uh, yuendo and, and allusion, they're very um, erotic and definitely un-Islamic. And yet, I saw with my own eyes thousands of girls in, in their fails becoming the big fans of these Korean star idols. Yeah. In some of the public events, there was a huge pictures of the uh, male K-pop stars, and the girls were shown to be hugging and kissing these pictures of the males when a friend of theirs are uh, taking a, a picture with their mobile phones. So that's a scene that you could see in any country of the world, that's really. Right, that's right, that's right. Not yeah. the entire world, but I think... Yeah. So does that make you hopeful for the kind of developments that you're going to see in Indonesia? I don't want to suggest this is necessarily a progressive trend. Yeah. But definitely that expresses a particular kind of vacuum. These young generations want to have a new sort of directions and they are not fulfilled by existing institutions, not by the family, not by the schools, not by political parties, not by the governments, not by the orthodox you know, religious leaders. They need for some sort of direction and inspirations to be both modern, but at the same time moral and dignified. Well, thanks, Ariel, for a very interesting and stimulating conversation. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in iTunes and SoundCloud, and please leave a review. They are always appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Latrobe Asia, and you can follow Ariel. He's at Ariel underscore Herianto. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.